Hi, my name's Enzo, and I live on the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and the Mississaugas of the Credit River nations. I, Jasper, live on lands covered by the Williams Treaties that are the traditional territory of the Mississaugas, a branch of the greater Anishinaabeg nation which includes Algonquin, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi. So what does that have to do with weed? Cannabis prohibition is intertwined with the history of colonialism in Canada, and laws against possession and trafficking have been used disproportionately against indigenous people. We're all treaty people, so let's do our part to learn the untold histories of the land we live on. Leaf Debrief cares about developing brains. Listen, we're not narcs, but studies show that regular consumption of cannabis by adolescent users causes more severe, longer-lasting problems than in adult users, including problems with executive function, memory, and a greater likelihood of addiction and psychosis. Please don't listen to this show until you're over the age of consumption in your province. Better yet, wait until you're 25. Then you can smoke as much weed as you want. And that's science. Customized cakes, cupcakes, cookies, cheesecakes, macaroons, and chocolates. I think th- I think that's a good hook. What about you? <laughs> Welcome to Leaf Debrief, a show where two yahoos take a prance through the flowery fields of the legal cannabis market. One part knowledge and two parts enthusiasm. As well as 15% skill, 20% luck, 30% concentrated power of will. <laughs> Hi, I'm Enzo. I'm Jasper. And uh, this is Least Least Debris. Talking about the latest developments in commercial real estate law. <laughs> One day we're going to get our own show name, right? Hi, everybody. Hello. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, today we're re- recording at my house. Yes, we've got a much comfier setup than last time. Slightly better acoustics and air conditioning. So, what's new? What is new? (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about something completely inconsequential, which is the state of the legal cannabis market in Canada this week. (laughs) This week, yeah. So, uh, what is going on this week? Why don't you start us off? This actually happened two weeks ago, but this is our first time recording an actual episode in that time period. So... We have Terps on Jars. It's finally here. Terps on Jars. Ta-da! Yeah, so it's been a long time coming, but finally some transparency from LPs, which we spent, I guess, a great length of time complaining about last episode. Sure. I'm going to try to yes and you, but also, is it really transparency or are we just getting more sophisticated looking marketing? That's true. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say whether this is real transparency or not, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Sure, maybe we should describe what that direction is. Yeah, sure. So for a while, licensed producers have not been making their, I guess, COAs available to the public. And a COA is to clarify a certificate of analysis. That's correct, yeah. So that is a analysis of the cannabinoids and terpenes. Done by a gas chromatographer. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, a gas chromatography mask. Are really going to try spec- it again in earnest? <laughs> okay. We're not going to do no. it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, for for the longest time, the consumer has had no idea what is in their plant, I guess, with regard to cannabinoids, terpenes. We just get the very basic percent on the jar as far as THC and CBD goes. As well as packing date, lot number, and a bunch of other information that isn't actually that useful to the consumer. But... What we're looking at now is GTEx Blickmicht. Blickmicht. Yeah, I guess we're just going to call it Blickmicht. They want us to call it Black Market, but I refuse. 
still Blickmicked to us. It's in still Blickmicked in our hearts. Blickmicked has uh, announced that they are now including terpene percentage analysis on their lots, which is exciting news. You were, Jasper, you're the one that was like keeping an eye on the Twitterverse that week. What was... What were people's reactions to this? Uh, there was a unanimously good reaction to that. I, I don't think I saw nearly as much skepticism as much as just celebration. Yeah, I think the skepticism is coming from me um, just because I love to be contrarian. So <laughs> even though I, I literally asked this of LPs, I, I was like, please give us these numbers. And then they um, gave it to you. And yeah, and I'm, no, I'm no. still complaining. So. <laughs> I am an ungrateful jerk who hates everything, and uh, that's where I am today. However, yes, exciting news. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't confirm where I saw this, but I swore I saw another LP had followed suit and put their uh, their terps on a bag. I Don't quote me on that. I won't. Anyway. Yeah, so exciting news. I hope more licensed producers follow suit with their terps on the jars uh, and any other information. Maybe a harvest date, perhaps? Harvest date would be, that would be mm-hmm. super. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, big update in the world of concentrates, I guess. The world of concentrates. <laughs> yeah, there's been an explosion of concentrates in the legal market. I've seen a lot more in BC than here in Ontario, but we've had a couple of juicy offerings pop up here. Juicy. Very juicy. Uh, a couple of which I've had the chance to sample. Uh, we got here. Oh, yeah. The first one that I sent you a picture of was uh, the fume. So... <laughs> This is, this is the one I'm calling old poop on a stick mm-hmm. here. So when this first popped up, I was curious because of its color. I sent a picture of it to Enzo. He was not impressed. I don't dabble in concentrates at all, except for the occasional bit of hash. Um, as Jasper is quite disappointed by from time to time. <laughs> I'm like very, very reluctant to try concentrates at this stage in my cannabis consumption. We'll get him to do it one day, folks. Oh, for sure. Like, as soon as we get, like, 100 subscriptions or whatever, I'm going to do a stupidly large dab and spend three hours puking. <laughs> and I'll get for it. You, for the benefit of your entertainment. But until then... Until then, I've just been getting, I guess, off-the-cuff opinions. And Enzo's opinion of this one was that it looked awful. And my response was to not judge a concentrate by its color. Sure. I went ahead and gave it a taste, and it yeah. was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, huh? Yeah, no, it, it tasted like plant matter. It kind of reminded me of the bathroom hash oil that I used to make as a teenager using isopropanol. Yeah, your description of that process sounded terrifying. And I'm not sure that Fume did a much better job. <laughs> yeah, it, it was maybe slightly better than my bathroom isopropanol hash oil. But honestly, I just got through it to get through it. But that is not that is not the good news, I guess, in the concentrates market. The good news that we've seen here in Ontario, uh, the terp slush, I guess we're calling it. Um, that is what we're calling it, folks. Yeah. Terp so, slush. Terp slush. Two different types of live rosin that have now entered the market. I have only tried the quiche terp slush, and I am a fan. I really am enjoying the flavor of it. It kind of reminds me of juniper. It's got a little bit of a gin snap to it with, uh, I guess, a little bit of a fruity sweetness. Anyway, I'll get you to try it someday. Sure. But uh, what, what were your this impressions? This is by Greybeard? This is, is by correct? Greybeard. Yes, sorry. I forgot to mention the producer. So Greybeard's Terp Slush. There are two of them right now. And those aren't the only new concentrates that we have in the OCS, are there? No, there's a there's a few. We've got, um, I guess, the uh, the hash that you picked up. Yes, that's North 40 or 48 North. Always get those two confused. 48 North. Yes. Yeah. 
That is the uh, traditional pressed pressed hashish. Depressed hashish. <laughs> the depressed hashish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, how are you finding that? I mean, I've only had a little bit. And I wasn't a huge hash user before legalization, so I really don't feel fit to comment on it. Fair enough. All right. Well, I took a look at it last night, and I can confirm it looks beautiful. Nice and fluffy. And only $30 a gram. Oh, Only $30 a gram. What else do we got? Yeah, why don't you tell me about your Montreal haul? Yeah, so I did a little bit of essential travel across the Quebec-Ontario border, which I feel weird about because, as most of our listeners know, travel is... Kind of a weird time right now. Mm-hmm. But I went with a little bit of a mission was to pick up some exclusives. And the SQDC, the Société du Cannabis du Québec, their inventory foiled most of my grand ambitions. That's right. But I was able to pick up some Seven Acres Craft Collective Kush Rosé. <laughs> That's Québécois for pink kush. Uh-huh. As well as some beverages that have not made an appearance in Ontario yet, from Hexo and Molson's subsidiary company, Truss Beverages, who are the manufacturers of the Very Veldrops, as well as several other sub-brands. Anyway, I'm not going to do their advertising for them, but we did want to pick up some sodas. And you did. And we did. And they were drunk, and a grand time was had by all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got, I guess, the Mercine soda, as well as... I got the Mercine soda. I got two, like, 2.5 milligram sodas they're calling Little Victory. They seem to want to advertise as, like, an anytime beverage, whereas their stronger ones, quote-unquote, we're still only dealing with five milligrams of THC. (laughs) The stronger ones are for nighttime settings, they seem to be implying. I don't know, a a 5-5 ratio seems like anytime to me, really. Yes, again... Because of Health Canada's regulations, capping edibles, any edible product at 10 milligrams, we're not going to see cons- we're not going to see products designed for you <laughs> that are cost effective anytime soon. And that is probably the biggest criticism that the cannabis community has in general about beverages. Yeah. But I have said it before and I will say it again. We are not their target audience. Their target audience are people new to cannabis who want something familiar. And I think this is probably going to do it for that audience. Yes, I have some anecdata in that a couple acquaintances of mine who don't really seek out flour have been purchasing the drinks to Ah, enjoy after work. There you go. I want to tell them that, you know, there are cheaper ways to get that, but it's a good good start. And I think that for many people, uh, it's just not very intimidating to crack open a drink, a soda, or a a beer-like beverage like the Molo 5. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, we can complain that the THC amounts are too little. And that's true, but we might not be the LP's target audience for this product. That's what I have to say about that. Perfect. Well, I guess the last thing on the list here then, I guess, is the race to the bottom for prices here. We've had massive amounts of markdowns on a lot of uh, classics, would you say? Or Cannabis 1.0s, maybe? Yeah, I wasn't really, as we know, I wasn't really around for Cannabis 1.0. So these are certainly classics in your household. Basically, we're seeing widespread price drops all the time. Yes. Yeah, definitely across the board right now. Some notable ones, though. And we're about to see even more as the outdoor producers' summer harvest come in in the fall. Mm -hmm. So notable ones right now, Spinach and Cove which are two sub-brands of Kronos slash Peace Naturals Project, if you can keep up with all of the shell corporations. 
We've got classics, or I guess like favorites by Seven Acres, their their proprietary line, not their craft collective. We've no. seen Soleil, Afria's Soleil price drops. We've seen Pure Sun Farms continue to drop their prices, even though they were already one of the most value-minded producers. Mm-hmm. Anything else you can think of? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, something I'll be reviewing today, Tweed. One of the original players in the market has done a big uh, price drop across the board there. So I don't think a lot of people are watching them these days, but... Yeah, I mean, everybody, anyone who's listening to this podcast probably already has an opinion of canopy growth. And we're not necessarily going to change that. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe Maybe their initial impressions are accurate. Yeah, it's very possible. I guess you'll just have to wait until the review portion to see. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got. We also see some price drops on some various pre-rolls, various five ten carts. So, if the price was keeping you out of the legal market, I don't know. Try reconsidering. Yeah, there's a lot in that low end now. A lot of good things from the uh, six, five, even four dollars a gram range. I've seen now. You have you have to buy in pretty large quantities to get down there, but a lot of good offerings in that range. Absolutely, and also we're seeing something that was priced at the luxury end of the market now be moved down to the mid range low mid-range end of the market. So I think it's always just good to see prices come down and to see better flour become more accessible for more people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anything else new on our list here? Uh, Yeah, we're going to try to say cultivars more often. Oh, damn it. Strains are for bacteria. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Cultivars, phenotypes. One thing we would be remiss to not mention would be the outcome of our crop shop swap that we alluded to last episode. That is to say, some correspondence that we've had with Cam and Joel of the Adult Cannabis Enthusiast podcast. Yeah, our buds in BC suggested we do a mailer exchange of some some cultivars that are not available in our respective provinces. Well, I suggested, actually. <laughs> Jasper suggested it. But they were very open to the idea. And? And we did a little trade. They got some of Ontario's finest Muskoka-grown Glueberry OG. Uh, Very exciting because of its uh, tuna can. Tuna can packaging with a nitrous seal. Mm -hmm. And we, in return, got some of their citizen stash, MAC-1. MAC-1, which stands for Miracle Alien Cookies. I didn't know that, actually. I did. Oh. Yeah, so thank you very much, Cam and Joel. This is some beautiful bud, actually. Some of the prettiest I've seen in a long time. We'll probably not be doing a review of this bud for reasons that Cam and Joel mentioned on their podcast, which is that this is not actually available in Ontario. So we feel it would be a little bit of a uh, discredit to our listeners to be reviewing something that they cannot get. Yet, anyway. Yet, of course. But anyway, thank you very much, Adult Cannabis Enthusiast Podcast, Cam and Joel. Joel, specifically, I've been in contact with. We really appreciate the trade and hope to be doing one again in the in the future yeah and if you're listening to this give them a listen yeah that's right if you enjoy our podcast you should definitely listen to theirs because they're much better at this than we are okay so i guess we should really get into the episode at this point we're, we're kind of babbling on here we've got a meaty discussion for you here folks what is it we today are talking about things that we wish we knew when we started cannabis and so this is going to range pretty far between you and i i think in terms of age range yeah so i mean the the fact that i started cannabis at a much younger age much (laughs) yeah most of my stories are going to be from the uh, mid to that early 2000s i'd say one might say that you were a pre-adolescent or just thereabout 
I don't like to say that, but yes, one might say that. And I guess we already have the bumper at the front, but we are going to say once again, if you are a teenager and listening to the show, turn it the fuck off. But with that being said, uh, yeah, we've got a meaty discussion. Things we wish we knew. Lessons you could tell your younger self. And uh, why don't you give us the first one? All right. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about cleaning implements, I think. Because this is something that nobody actually taught me over time. I actually just kind of had to piece together these techniques from things I saw other people do. As part of your doctorate studies at the University of Imagination and Hard Knocks. Of course. This is second year studies. All right. So cleaning. The first time I saw somebody clean a bong or any implement... I had already been smoking for probably six or seven years at that point. Oh my god. Yeah, nobody ever, nobody that I smoked with at least ever cleaned any of their shit. It was always just a dumpster in the bong. I mean, also, I think that describes their apartments as well, of the people you were hanging out with at that time. Yeah, you've heard plenty of stories. Yeah, I mean, teenagers, they're not good at caring for themselves. Nah. (laughs) So, yeah, the first time I ever saw somebody clean a bong, they were doing it with consumer-grade nail polish remover. Acetone. Yeah, not acetone. Just like, just the stuff you go down to your regular pharmacy, you know. Isn't but, that acetone? Oh, yeah, it's acetone-based, okay. but has lots of scents and uh, dilutants. So it's really not the best stuff. You end up with a bong that smells like a nail salon as opposed to something clean. And something neutral that's not going to poison your lungs. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure there was plenty of lung poisoning that went on during those days. So I didn't take that technique with me. But one thing that person did that I saw and did take with me uh, was that they put sea salt inside of their acetone or nail polish remover uh, to use it as an abrasive. Uh, The idea being that sea salt does not dissolve in acetone. No, it does not. Just as you might have an oil company create plastic microbeads to exfoliate your face with a daily cleansing lotion with. <laughs> Which we know is great for the environment. We know this now, of course. Yeah, you can use something hard, I suppose. I guess salt crystals are hard mm-hmm. to scrape the sides off the, the bong. Yeah, so they don't dissolve. You just throw the sea salt right in there. The in there that I'm talking about is not going to be acetone. It's going to be rubbing alcohol. We're talking about 99% isopropanol. So I kind of mixed two techniques I had at the time, one of which was the bathroom hash oil that I was describing earlier. So I already knew that isopropanol was a strong solvent that was capable of dissolving cannabinoids. Throw some rubbing alcohol in your bong with a little bit of sea salt, give it a swish, cleans that stuff better than, uh, I guess, a commercial bong cleaner, I think, would. I, I've tried the, do you know what it's called? Is it Agent Orange? Orange orange Crush, maybe? Uh, I haven't tried it, but I know the one you're talking about. I know people that have used it. Yeah, I used it once and it seemed like it wasn't doing anything that rubbing alcohol and sea salt couldn't do for me. So that's been my go-to ever since. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's just got some orange oils added for for nice smell. Yeah, I I don't really... I'm not partial to making my things smell orangey or like anything other than clean, really. So yeah, rubbing alcohol and sea salt. Let's back up a bit, though. Why was this an important revelation for you? What about your life changed after you discovered this? What about my life changed? Yeah. Uh, The ability to clean my implements, which at this time were very dirty. I think the only way I cleaned them before this was by sticking oddly shaped paper clips and scraping out the black poop resin, sometimes smoking it because we were teenagers. But someone that 
hasn't been smoking every day for six years, what happens when you don't clean your bong? What builds up? Oh, resin. And what's in that resin? Uh, all kinds of shit you've got. Oh, geez, sludgy bong water, ash, carbon. I mean, other cannabinoids that have not evaporated, burnt it's, off. It's primarily the THC that hasn't fully combusted, right? That's deposited itself along the, the edges of the implement. Oh, yeah, it's very potent stuff. Yeah, as well as all of the, like, nitrohexamines <laughs> and various benzene-like chemicals that are produced from combustion. Oh, all delicious stuff that you want to be putting in your lungs. Yeah, and it, it forms this kind of like thick brown layer yeah, on whatever whatever tool you're sludge. using. It's pretty. It's pretty rank. Uh, anyway, you want to avoid it at all costs, and uh, it does cake up over time. It does get harder to remove. Tiny Tim, my bong, I recently had to do this process, and it had probably a year's worth caked on. I wasn't able to get it off even with the salt rubbing alcohol method i had to stick a metal chopstick in there and poke it off so you do not want your implements getting to this point no because then they taste gross and you don't get the full flavor mm -hmm. but if you are a 15 year old first of all turn off this fucking program <laughs> second of all yeah that reclaim can be used you can smoke it again we don't recommend it it's gross yeah you can do it really awful <laughs> it's, it's a really profoundly unpleasant experience but uh sometimes it's all you got yeah oh, what's next on the list here so I think you wanted to talk about other useful cannabis tools. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to come with a little bit of an embarrassing story here that I don't know if you've ever heard. I don't know. Because by the time you started talking to me about smoking weed, your persona was like the worldly professor that knew absolutely everything. Of course. And I have to keep that up, obviously. But no, there was a time when I was just, I guess, uh, a novice in the cannabis world. And this was, as I mentioned, the early 2000s. So... There wasn't really the same abundance of information out there. The internet wasn't really, you know, full of cannabis information the way it is today. Eerowood.org was the only thing we had. It was literally the only thing <laughs> for a long time. So, yeah, word of mouth was the only way you could ever, I guess, expand your cannabis knowledge. And being the only stoner friend in my group for a long time, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge expansion. <laughs> and so... One of the things I spent nearly, I think nearly two years not knowing was the concept of grinding weed. Why is it important to grind your weed before you <laughs> consume it? Well, I mean, you could make a bunch of arguments about this, but this is uh, coming down to surface area. So if you grind your weed, it has more surface area to burn. And this can come in handy in a lot of different situations. What are you getting at? That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, grinding grinding weed is something nobody ever taught me. Uh, so for nearly two years, I would just grab whole buds and stuff them into a pipe bowl. I mostly used pipes at that point. Yes, stealthier. Every teenager uses pipes. And I don't yeah. know why, because they, they stink. They're so... Uh, they're not stealthy at all, but... Well, I think why every teenager uses them is because you can get them for four ninety nine. Yes, you can get them for $4.99 at your local. You can get a Rick and Morty themed pipe for, yeah. for five ninety nine. They've got all your favorite Bob Marley themed pot leaf with red eyes. Metal pipes were the de facto standard. So for, yeah, nearly two years, I was stuffing entire buds into my pipe and just smoking them like that. And the first time I ever experienced... I guess, somebody breaking up weed. Let me think about this for a second. I need to get this story in order. Come on, folks. There's going to be some thrilling information Thrilling. at the end of this 
brief pause. Let us just collect our energies before we lay down some serious wisdom. <laughs> There's no, there will be no wisdom here. Okay, so at this point, I had mostly bought weed from friends, as in given my money to friends who had then bought it from their dealers. I had never bought weed for myself at this point. You are how old at this point? I think probably 13 or 14. That's a great age to not have any underworld connections. Personally, I think that that makes sense. Yeah, I think that was a great thing that I didn't maintain for very long, unfortunately. But this is a story about the first time I bought my own, which was out in the smoking section of my high school. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, I asked around a little bit and eventually found somebody who was willing to sell me a gram that was probably honestly like a 0.6 that they just ripped out of a bag. I probably got ripped so hard. Of course you were. You were 13 years old. You were visibly a child. Yes. And so this person sold me a quote unquote gram for $10 in the smoking section. And that was the point that I realized I didn't actually have anything to smoke it with. Classic dilemma. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a classic teenage d- dilemma in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were no pop cans around, but Buddy, who just sold it to me, said, it's all right, I got a rolling paper for you. Uh, understand that at this point, I had never rolled a joint. I had never seen anybody roll a joint. I was only vaguely aware of the concept of how to roll one. So he offers me a paper. I just kind of vaguely knew that... You were supposed to put the weed in the paper. You're supposed to roll it up and then you seal it by licking it somehow. Uh, so I kind of walked off a little bit too proud to ask any questions or anything. And I took the gram out of the baggie and I stuffed the entire <laughs> unbusted gram inside of this paper and struggled to roll it up into this strange misshapen cannon. Just a whole one gram bud rolled into a paper licked to seal and i tried to light that for probably five minutes before the guy who sold me the weed eventually noticed me struggling and came over and saw my misshapen joint and made the hugest scene oh my god everybody come over and check out the worst joint you have ever seen i think he was asking people for a camera at one point he made sure everybody in this smoking section had seen my misshapen joint before he pulled it out and then pulled a buster out of his pocket unwrapped my joint, and rolled it for me. And that was how I learned about busters. You mean grinders? Yeah, I mean, are we talking talking Ontario nomenclature here? Is buster not a widely known term? I've never used it, but... No? Grinder, mill... Oh yes, herb, dry herb mill. Yes, I mean, if we're talking technical here. So that was the first time I had seen anybody use a grinder, uh, and that changed my life. What changed your life about that? Like, do you remember smoking that joint and being like, ah, this is what I have to do? Or was it like the embarrassment of the social lesson (laughs) that he rather cruelly inflicted on you? I mean, it was a little bit of both. It was a very cruel lesson, but yeah, also kind of a light bulb moment in terms of uh, a very important lesson on surface area, uh, a lesson that really stuck with me. And from that point, I would always bust things up before putting them into my pipes, into my bongs. And that lesson really stuck with me. Obviously, it should, because more surface area equals more burn equals more More efficient combustion. It's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So lesson learned, bust your weed up. That segues nicely into my first topic that is what I wish I knew before I started using cannabis, which is that I wish... Rather than getting incomplete combustion, I just wish that I knew you didn't need to combust. 
at all. Because the availability and popularity of dry herb vaporizers at the time that I began consuming cannabis was not as high as it is now. There was not the knowledge base. You kind of just got whatever vaporizer the store had. And I'm sure that the the really high-end models, like the Volcano, had been out at that time. At the time that I was... They were absolutely out. I think the Volcano's been out since like the 2000s. Yeah, I had a friend with a Volcano and I was in awe of it for sure. So I kind of stayed away from vaporizers because I only had that really classic crappy desktop one. The wood box. Yeah, the wood box. Yeah, the one that everybody had at some point in their teens. Not the Magic Flight-like box, the big console box with the glass stem that goes on top of yeah, it. Yeah, that's the one I'm and talking about. And the long, like, hookah-like... Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one was bunk. I just thought vaping was bunk forever because of that thing. It turns out it's not. This is subjective, but it is... It's not uh, the most efficient delivery method. It's certainly less efficient than combustion. You will use less product by dramatic margin. You will also... Your lungs will feel better. I definitely feel it when I come over to your place and <laughs> we end up combusting together. Yeah, I, I can confirm both of those things are true. I go through less and my lungs feel better. But the taste is something you and I go back and forth on a lot. Yeah, to me, I only get those clear indications of pleasant flavors when I'm not combusting. But there was a time when I smoked more and I smoked cigarettes that I probably would have been able to say, yeah, I, I taste that. That tastes good. But I don't I don't relate to that person anymore. So... I'm I'm glad that if I were starting to consume weed today, I would know that vaporization is an option and there's vaporizers to, I don't know, for any skill level and price range. Yeah, you use two. I use two and I'll probably try more. There's a joke in the vaporizer community of getting vaporizer acquisition syndrome <laughs> where you just keep trying more and more methods, but I'm, I'm very happy with my two for now. Well, we've got to get you something that can do extracts pretty soon. Uh, that's going to be your new favorite thing. Eventually... when my tolerance gets up to a certain level. Now, the next thing that I wish that I knew before I started smoking cannabis or using cannabis at all, and this this is probably going to be a mildly controversial topic, and we're probably going to have a full episode on the subject sometime soon. I know where this is going. Yes, you do. So I have this written in our notes as uh, Enzo confronts Jasper with shocking accusation, (gasps) which is not entirely accurate of how this conversation is going to go. But I dabbled in cannabis as a teenager, but didn't really use it very much Um, and had quite a few negative experiences early on before I knew how to manage my anxiety and how not to overdo it when consuming cannabis. But even as a teenager, I remember like, I remember having a bad time consuming weed. It was with people I didn't know that well. And I like kind of got too anxious and freaked out. I had kind of a bad night. And then the next morning, all I was thinking about, it was like, I need to get me some more of that stuff. <laughs> and I remember thinking that was paradoxical because at the time I was just like, why do I want more of that? I just had a bad time. I was thinking that. And yet I certainly had that little fiendy feeling. I wonder what that was. I wonder what that was. Then years later, I meet you. We strike up a beautiful friendship in a hopeless place, one that persists to this day, and you gradually introduce me to the delights of cannabis or regular cannabis consumption. Mm-hmm. The good sides only. The good sides only, yes. I remember, it's not that relevant to the story, I suppose, but I definitely remember there being a turning point where I had a bad day at work. My brain made the connection. I was like, you know what? I should go over to Jasper's place after work because I've had a bad day and I know that smoking weed will make me feel better. And it did, didn't it? Oh, it absolutely did. And then that gradually progressed into daily use for a few years. And then I tried not smoking every day. (laughs) And what happened? I had my first taste of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. And that sucked. Whoops. And the reason that I want to confront you about this 
is because you knew that would happen to me. I did a little bit. And you knew that my use was progressing into a state that would have caused dependency or likely to cause dependency. Still only about 50% of people that use cannabis a lot will have withdrawal syndrome. Yeah. But that's, that's a one and two coin flip. Yeah, I was just uh, excited. <laughs> I was excited about you coming to my house and smoking weed with me because nobody would at that point. I was a pretty lonely stoner those days, and so didn't want to sully it with the dark cloud of things like dependency and withdrawal. Because, I mean, at that time, if we're being honest, <laughs> I don't feel like weed was the worst thing we were doing to ourselves. Okay, that's fair. I'm happy to leave it at that, maybe. <laughs> sure. You were very careful and very methodical, almost mansplaining at times, about cannabis protocol, procedure, etiquette, and I am, in fact, actually very grateful to all these many things that you've taught me over the years, though I, you know, like to act as though I am not. But I think that if you'd given me a two-hour lecture on the importance of surface area in, combust <laughs> in combustion, you could have also just maybe given me a 15-minute rundown on the dependency syndrome I was about to experience. Okay, sure. That's fair. And also, to be fair, that was a thing that I didn't know when I started cannabis. It surprised me just as much as it surprised you, and that's not a justification for me surprising you. I don't think it's as calculated as you're making it out to be. I certainly wasn't planning to withhold information from you. Oh, I definitely don't think you calculated that. I just, like, in retrospect, I'm shaking my fist at you a little bit. Oh, sure. There's no point in having regret. I, I certainly can't go back and change any aspect of my late adulthood or late adolescence, early early 20s, so... Nor should we. No. We, we've got to learn from our own mistakes. Mm -hmm. But I made that mistake, too. I didn't know that being a uh, small person uh, with a low body weight meant that I was going to be prone to retching and nausea when uh, cannabis withdrawal hit. I guess that's something that not everybody experiences, but... Gastric distress is one of the most common symptoms for people experiencing cannabis withdrawal. We're going to, I don't know what we'll throw in the show notes. We'll throw in like a Wikipedia summary of the, what cannabis withdrawal syndrome is, but. Mm -hmm. it'll, yeah. it'll vary for everybody. For me, it meant uh, restlessness, cold sweats, insomnia, insomnia. Yeah. Loss of sleep. Big boredom. <laughs> Skull fucking boredom. Absolutely. Mind numbing boredom. Yeah. And these are the things nobody tells you about because nobody wants to tell you about these things. But. If you're thinking, if and especially if you're a teenager, listen to this, but then shut this program off and go to your room. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking about a, a daily dalliance with the cannabis plant, as many, many people enjoy, just be prepared. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Your body will want to return to homeostasis. You are likely to experience cannabis withdrawal syndrome if you're using high THC products in particular. Yes, which is a great segue, actually. So we should note that... High THC products are not the only thing on the market available to you, especially since the last couple of years there has been a massive push for CBD products. Yeah. Basically, the history of this is going to get its own episode, I'm sure. We're going to have a CBD-focused episode. Sure. But the long and short of it, there are many cannabinoids in cannabis. THC is the most famous one. CBD is the second most famous one. If you live in North America, you have probably seen an explosion of weird bargain bin products at your local uh, skin creams yeah a skin cream you know, i don't think dog any. food cbd is a wonderful thing and it's got really nice medicinal benefits and because of the pressures of the the black market and prohibition plants were bred to have higher and higher amounts of thc but cbd plays its own roles 
you know, there's not a ton of studies on it as there aren't a ton of studies on most cannabis related subjects, but CBD has been shown to help with anxiety, inflammation, insomnia, there are various things that it can be used to treat. It also reduces the risk of psychosis and like anxious, bad reactions to THC itself. Again, studies pending. There's definitely studies on that. Yeah. There's that one I can say for sure, because that's why Sativex, the, ah. the prescription THC CBD one-to-one medication approved by the FDA in the States, they had to do studies showing that it was more effective for the conditions they wanted to treat than just pure synthetic THC Marinol was. I guess we're going to link those studies in the show notes, folks. We sure are. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, CBD. CBD weed. Something that uh, I guess nobody told us about growing up because it wasn't really well known. And it wasn't available and yeah. nobody wanted it. And people still don't want it. It doesn't sell super well except on the medical side. Mm-hmm. But it should because it's not the same as THC containing cannabis. It does very different things. It really relaxes you. Personally, I can say that the good stuff will really take my anxiety down a notch. Not for very long. It, it's not very long lasting. It's like 30, 30 minutes to an hour. But it's about as effective as some much stronger drugs for stopping a panic attack in its track. So mm. that's been nice personally. And also got benefits uh, for CB2 receptors in the stomach and gut. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, lots of therapeutic benefits for CBD. Most importantly, not shown to cause dependency, tolerance, or addiction. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting little tidbit. Personally, I've been using it on my off days when I'm not consuming cannabis with THC in it. And how do you find that? Do you find it kind of takes the edge off of uh, the dependency? Yeah, I mean, I'm not experiencing super bad dependency issues at this point in my relationship with cannabis. There are some subtle effects, I would say, on my off days when I'm not consuming. But I do find that the CBD, CBD only cannabis, yeah, relaxes me, really takes if I'm having a bad craving, if I'm like, oh, I wish I could roll up a joint. If I just vape on a little bit of that or have some CBD oil, I feel better and I'm, I'm fine to go about my day. Bet you wish you knew about that two years ago. Two years ago? Ah, I guess. Two years ago? Bet you wish you knew about that six years ago. Eight years ago. Eight sure years. <laughs> Bet you wish you knew about that <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> gotta keep that in (laughs) (laughs) welcome to leaf debrief a show where we are contractually obligated to completely lose our shit with the giggles at least once per episode (laughs) my name's enzo i'm jasper and i have no sense of time (laughs) and we're seven minutes over for this segment why don't we move into the review portion i think that's a great idea Let's take a break here and get back to the reviews. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast for some reason, we've got more content on the internet. Go to leafdebrief.com to read our latest cannabis reviews or follow us on Twitter at leafdebrief to chat me up personally. And, you know, if you're feeling charitable, do the like, rate, subscribe thing. Your approval is our lifeblood. Welcome back to Leaf Debrief, a show where two bipedal mammals consume a plant. I know you said bipedal, but that description really makes me think of a cow chewing its cud. <laughs> or like a dromedary sp- uh, eating a hydromelon in the desert, spitting it out. <laughs> I'm Jasper, and sometimes I feel like whatever he just described. And, uh, a hydromelon. A hydromelon. <laughs> and my name's Enzo. And we're back to review some weed. Yeah. 
Back to our review portion. Uh, so we got a couple things on the table today. Enzo and I are doing a back and forth review. We've each picked out one cultivar from the legal market, which we will be reviewing. One new and one old, I'd say. Yeah, I have not tried this one before. So the one I brought to the table today is Subway Scientist by Riff, which is Afria's mid-range offering, with Broken Coast being their like elite or pricey offering. Mm-hmm. So Subway Scientist is Granddaddy Purple. Okay. Well, I've brought one to the table today that was originally actually one of my go-tos during the Cannabis 1.0 days uh, during uh, slim picking selections, but... It has really fallen out of favor lately, and that is a houndstooth by Tweed. Yes, we're <laughs> reviewing a dried flower product by Canopy Growth. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they've really fallen out of favor lately, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I did really enjoy houndstooth originally. Uh, but again, that was probably because the selection was very limited and it had something unique to offer. You're talking about like the first year of legalization, right? Yeah, the early days. So this cultivar is Candyland, I believe. That's what we're going to be talking about here. The only thing I know about Candyland is that it's a sativa. It what, is. What else can you tell us about Candyland? Well, funny thing, actually. Candyland is, I guess, a grandchild of Granddaddy Perps. Okay. So, yeah, your, uh, your Granddaddy Perps that you're going to be reviewing today is one of the two parents of Candyland, the other which is Platinum Cookies, I believe? Yes. Platinum Cookies, I think, is a back cross of Dositos with Mendo Breath. That sounds right. I don't. I don't know if it is. Uh, we don't need to go too back in that family tree. But Looking forward to having a, another correction for next episode. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a little bit of family lineage between our two, our two cultivars. I almost said strains again. Would have been really cute if we'd planned that, but we're not that bright. No, that was actually completely coincidental. All right, Enzo, why don't you take us through the patent-pending Leaf Debrief review system? Sure thing, buddy. But before I do, if you're a regular listener to Leaf Debrief and you already know the scoop, just skip ahead 90 seconds. You'll thank me later. We'll still be here on the other end. Okay! Four categories. Presentation, nose, taste, and effects. Presentation covers our visual and tactile impressions of the bud. What does it look like? How does it feel? Are the buds light and squishy or dense? Do they look dull or are they covered with glistening trichomes? Look to this category for nug size, density, texture, humidity, and aesthetic appeal to determine just how much pizzazz this bud has to offer. Nose is all about smell and the olfactory experience of the bud. What does this cannabis smell like when you first crack open the jar? When you break open the buds? And when you bust it up? Does the smell linger in my nostrils or fade quickly? Does it remind me of something I know or conjure up obscure childhood memories? Taste. If we're putting it in our bodies, why wouldn't we want it to be delicious? But that's not all. We'll also be evaluating a bud's taste on cohesiveness. Does it convey a flavor well? Uniqueness. Is it unlike anything we've tried? Only tastes we like score well, but extra points are awarded for surprises. And finally, effects. The variations of feelings we get from the bud. Does it relax my muscles, make it easier to focus, put me to sleep, or heighten my perception of music? Jasper, on the other hand, will mostly be commenting from a tolerance perspective, starting with, did he even feel it, and working upwards from there. Each category is worth 10 points. We'll add these up to produce a mathematical average, along with a subjective score to account for our own personal feelings. That's right, folks. Sometimes these numbers average out in unexpected ways, and we reserve the right to be as biased as we are as human beings. So, I guess I'll jump into Houndstooth by Tweed here. 
Why don't I start by reading the product description? That's always a fun place to start, isn't it? <clears throat> Greenhouse-grown houndstooth is a sweet, spicy, and citrusy sativa-dominant strain from Tweed with a medium THC potency. Its buds have a purple hue and a complex aroma created by a terpene profile that includes myrcene, earthy, beta-caryophylline, clove-like, and alpha-pinene, piney. Okay, what do you think? Uh, honestly, I hate to credit canopy growth with almost anything, but that is pretty okay copy. Yeah, you generally have something pretty nasty to say about the copy, but... This... Well, that's what I do. Yeah. No, I, I think that is pretty much just sticking to the facts, I'd say. No embellishment necessary. No. Let the product stand for itself. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see how that product stands. Originally, for presentation, this product was never much of a shower. None of them were back in the day, and that is still true. Presentationally, it's just not all there. It's kind of swaggity. It's a little leafy. The color is not as great as it used to be. I do remember that it had some flecks of purple that it was talking about in the product description, but uh, no, most of that is gone now. It's just kind of grayish purple, and... Bits of khaki, I guess. It looks really dried out and kind of sickly. How does it feel to the touch? It feels bone dry, which is interesting because when I measured this with the high grow, it came in at 50%. Which... That's okay. It's on the it's on the okay side of bad, is yeah. what I would say. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. But what I, what I want to say is that I've gotten other buds at 50% relative humidity that have felt much better than this. But what were the what, what was their pack date? Well, the pack date on this one here, this is going back a while. Yeah, so this was packaged February 26th of 2020. So I've gotten maybe the ghost of cannabis past here. But this bud didn't look like it really started out that great. And as the old adage goes, shit in, shit out. So when I break it up, it just powders itself in between my fingers. Dusty. It's very dusty. Kind of stemmy, too. I've posted some pictures of this. It just doesn't look great. So I gave the presentation of this bud a 2.5. Ooh, <laughs> spicy. Yeah, I I didn't feel I didn't feel right giving it anything below that because I've seen much worse looking buds than this on the legal market, but I couldn't in good conscience score it any higher than a 2.5. All right. Uh, do any of the other categories redeem it? Uh, well, next on the list is the nose. Uh, the nose was one of the things I appreciated about it originally, and that one has kind of flown the coop as well, unfortunately. It's still got a little bit of the original appeal, cheesier than I remember it. How I remember it was a little bit more floral. It had a very kind of a rosy bouquet that I likened at the time to Turkish Delight. It had a, a rose water flair. That sounds appealing. It was very appealing. This, overwhelmingly, it just kind of smelled like hay. Ugh. That's the absolute worst smell that you could... No, it's the second worst smell that you can get out of cannabis. The worst smell you can get out of cannabis is Rockstar by Grail. <laughs> <laughs> Julian Fantino's special blend. So I couldn't score the nose very well. This one landed at a 3 out of 10, just marginally higher than the presentation, but ultimately still a disappointment in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, we're not even close to the middle of the bell curve. <laughs> no. Uh, the taste of this bud, 
I think this is probably the redeeming category, if any. Taste had little flickers of those rose water notes that I remember. I only detected that in the bong. It was not nice at all in the vape. It just tasted like burnt popcorn. So this is probably one of those few cases where the vape experience was significantly lower quality than the bong experience, somehow. Usually you get the burnt popcorn flavor after the bud's already been pretty toasted. So I'm guessing just because it came in so dry that there's no tasty oils to evaporate and you just go immediately to that like pyrolyzing flavor yeah it was uh it was straight to the burnt popcorn flavor and i've had this in a jar with the humidity pack for uh three or four days now to try and rehydrate it and it's stabilized at a at a humidity that i should like but i i just haven't been able to revive any of that flavor it's already flown the coop yeah i mean you can't once it's evaporated you can't put it back in so that little tickle of rose water still got this a four in the taste category. impressive mm-hmm. bringing it up a point with every category tweed that must be you know these these better quality assurance programs that i've heard about over canopy on com- various comments on the internet yes famous for their quality assurance yeah the taste i don't know it had a little bit of a minty zip but not anything compared to the way houndstooth originally hit when you were buying batches of it more regularly yes it seems i lied actually as far as the redeeming qualities go i actually rated effects a little bit higher so we've been steadily climbing the rating ladder as we go through originally this was one of my favorite daytime weeds i liked it because it was just a simple easy sativa sativa it was a simple easy sativa to consume in the morning and get me through a work day, which I gotta love your daytime weeds cruising (laughs) through St. Louis. That's my contribution. Yeah. And it's still got that. I I would say this is still doing the same thing for me that it used to. I was able to sit down and continue recording this episode after smoking copious amounts of it for the sake of this review. So that one landed at a five for me. It's still got a little bit of zip, It still does what you would expect a sativa, or I guess whatever we're marketing as a sativa, to do. So you felt a little bit more focused, a little bit more energized. Yeah, it's definitely still got that touch. Nothing unique, nothing particularly high voltage, I guess. It's just doing exactly what it needs to do, which is why it landed at five, you know, right in the middle of the road. We're halfway there, folks. Mm -hmm. So what does that give us for an average score? Altogether, if we tally that up, 2.5 for presentation, 3 for the nose, 4 for the taste, and 5 for effects, that gets us 3.625 for Tweed's Houndstooth. Subjectively, I'd probably still bump that up to a 4, because of nostalgia mostly. How generous. (laughs) I'm feeling a little generous today. But I think if Tweed is going to continue getting by on more than just nostalgia, they're going to have to turn up the quality quite a bit, especially in the first two departments, presentation and nose. I don't know if maybe this batch was just a little too old, but I got it right at a restock, so I was hopeful for a new batch. Maybe they'll come out with some. I'm not going to be getting this one anytime again soon. There you have it. Speaking of things that I'm probably not going to have again anytime soon, that's a great segue into mine. My cultivar of the week, as mentioned at the top of the episode, is Subway Scientist by Riff, which is their moniker that they've chosen to rebrand 
Granddaddy Purple. We know how much you love those monikers. I I mean, riffs I sort of respect just because they're really stupid and they commit to the bit. <laughs> um, all of them are so dumb. So I sort of like that. Subway Scientist, that's... Uh, what does that mean? I don't know. It's just hitting my marketing buttons, I guess. Maybe I'm their target audience. Who knows? Uh, millennial Hipsters, making a hipster joke in 2020. That's what we do on Leaf Debrief. <laughs> I'm going to start talking about the actual weed now. Yeah, what does, uh, what does Riff have to say about this weed? Okay. What does Riff have to say about this weed? Subway scientist Barry Scent is created by a complex terpene profile that includes myrcene, limonene, linalool, and beta-pinene. This strain is greenhouse grown in a natural and ecologically friendly environment and has a very strong THC potency. Subway Scientist is available in several dried flower weights and pre-rolls. Aside from the unnecessary greenwashing, it's okay. Yeah, sticks to the facts. Generally, it's nice having a preview of what the terpene profile will be. So this batch is coming in at 19.65% THC and 0.53% CBD and has a package date of June 8th, which as of date of recording is just, what, three months? Yeah, you got much luckier than I did. Yeah, in terms of the packaging date lottery. But one thing about the packaging date is it doesn't mean anything, because even though this was only packaged three months ago, it was the some of the driest weed I received in this entire haul. The hygrometer, when I measured it, came in at 44%. Wow. Which is, yeah, That's pretty desert. bleak. And you know what? You can tell when you look at the cannabis itself. I'm going to move into visuals. The one thing that I appreciated most about this batch of Subway Scientists was the color. There are these lovely dark, like, spearmint green leaves. And there's also clear flecks of purple. Kind of like an amethysty purple. It's a little bit darker than your average one. And those are kind of evenly interspersed. As is typical for many producers at this price point, we have an aggressive machine trim. What disappointed me immediately when I opened this was I have very, very small buds throughout the package. The largest one, it's getting pretty close to popcorn. I think the largest one was like half a gram, but most of them are around 0.1. So I'm not impressed with the size, and I'm definitely not impressed with the texture. These buds are very crispy. They don't quite collapse into dust like the tweed, but they're not in great shape. They've clearly been losing moisture, and I have no idea how long ago this was harvested, because it definitely didn't lose all that moisture in the three months that it was in the jar. So ultimately, despite liking the color, I'm going to give this a four okay. for presentation. Okay. And in spite of all that dryness, did it manage to hold on to any of its nose? Ish. There is a not unpleasant kind of generic earthy smell. If I really concentrate, there's kind of a musty sweetness, like, I don't know, something that smells like an old basement, but that is simultaneously having knockoff table syrup, not maple syrup, served on some pancakes in that basement. Sweet, a little bit sickly, but it's very faint. It's barely there. There's maybe like a little bit of an earthy smell, maybe. There's something that smells a little bit like coffee. And then I didn't notice this until you pointed it it out, but there is a slight herbal edge, kind of like rosemary. Right. Originally, when I recommended this to you, it was because I was picking up celery salt, kind of like a Caesar rim. And yeah, that... and we didn't get that in this batch very much, did we? <sighs> I mean, you have to look for it. And I did not personally consume your batch of Subway Scientists, but it didn't smell too hopeful when I took a sniff. 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 Generally, from 
cultivars in this lineage. We're expecting more of a fruity profile. And I didn't see that come out. This seems to be a very indica, a very stereotypical indica in that we have more of the earthy side represented in its smell profile. Overall, just because of the dryness and because it's not particularly inspiring or forceful, this also got a four for nose. Same score. Okay, well, I know what the average is so far, at least. So far. Moving on to taste, this picks up a little bit, but not effectively. There was a definite air of laundry soap, which I'm attributing to a fairly, what feels like a fairly high linalool content. And I tried this on both the Airizer Solar 2 and the Dynavap, and I found it consistently quite floral, musky, sweet, but in a way that wasn't particularly appealing. I have written in my notes, like a soapy toasted marshmallow. That's a colorful description. Yeah. So I can't say that I loved the taste of this, but there was a taste, and I I got to explore the full range of those soapy notes. So I'm going to give that a five. Oh, we finally peaked it over the middle. Where Subway Scientist redeems itself is in its effects. <laughs> yes. For me also. I have written down that I experienced an impish, giggly feeling, and this was kind of as soon as I tried it. Maybe it was just because I was hanging out with you, but I felt very silly and dopey. Giggly, groggy. Nice. But I remember that it didn't feel, it didn't last very long. That giggly feeling passed fairly quickly, and I didn't find that the sedation stuck around either. You certainly seem a lot more subdued now than you did an hour ago. Sure. But that's also because I've crashed from caffeine, and we've been doing this now for several hours. I didn't mind the effects. I would have liked if there was some more persistence in them, but that probably needs to come with a higher THC percentage at this point, which is not really fair of me to ask. So overall, I gave this a 6.5. Felt like a nice way to end a work day, but I don't know if I would reach for this on like a super after a super stressful day. I might need something stronger. So 6.5 for effects is where I'm happy staying at. Okay. Well, it sounds like we're kind of all over the place here. What did, uh, what did that land on for an average for you? For an average, that comes to 4.875. Ooh, almost edging up to the middle, but yeah, not quite. But not quite. And in my last cultivar that I reviewed, I used my subjective power and bumped it by quite a bit. Like, I bumped it by 0. 0.75. That's so, a generous bump. I'm feeling comfortable just leaving Riff Subway Scientist at 4.875 with my subjective score. Just didn't quite feel like an average to you? It was fine, but it was only fine. Well, that's that's interesting. I think this is the first time we've both had a uh, not-so-great cultivar to review. We tend to, I guess, focus on the stuff we like, naturally. Yeah, so we've had I want to buy stuff sleep. that I know is going to taste and smell good. Yeah, so we've been falling into this hole of... Hitting a lot of reviews in the Goldilocks zone. We've been doing a lot of sixes, sevens, eights recently, so I guess it feels good to shake it off and be mean for once. Bone cop, bad cop. Well, I think that about wraps it up. What about you? I think that's enough. (laughs) I think we're both reaching the end of our rope here. So, signing off. My world's on fire. How about yours? Uh, Thanks for listening. Have a great night, everybody. Love you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Leaf Debrief, where we go elbows deep into recycling. 